Hello and welcome to episode 158 of NCP. My name is David. We're with the NCP crew. We're getting the band back together. Richard! Yeah. Didn't, didn't we miss something? Yeah, we missed an episode. You've explained all of that already in the, in last, the episode? last episode. Yeah. Right, okay. So it wasn't some kind of, oh, I'm sick to death of these guys, never speaking to them again. And now, now a few weeks later, you're like, yeah, on second thoughts, these, I did are, the only, to... these are the only friends I have, so <laughs> I suppose I should talk to them. I did want to do that. I did actually want to have like a fake rant about how I, I'd fired you and, you know, sick of seeing your faces and, you know, your smell and all that sort of stuff. But I was still so, I was still actually still quite sick <laughs> recording that episode. I just, I just couldn't muster up the energy. So I was just like, yeah, we missed an episode. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Richard, uh, look. I feel like I'm, you know, I should be either um, Ringo Starr or one of the other Pet Shop, or one of the other Beach Boys, you know, being fired or having the, the band like, disbanding because of um, certain political affiliations of as lead singer, <laughs> cultural and artistic affiliations. Well, that might happen after our uh, Hugo Awards special section. I mean, <laughs> that might happen. You may, we may disagree about certain points, and, and the whole thing. I know we'll disagree about certain points, but actually, we'll. Agree mostly on some of the more important stuff. I, 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 I wouldn't be shocked if it results in a walkout. I'm expecting it. We'll see what happens. Great. Ringo Starr was neither in the Beatles or the Pet Shop Boys. I mean, in the Beach Boys. In the Beach Boys. Or the Pet Shop Boys. Or the Pet Shop yeah. Boys. I'm not quite sure where you're going there, and I don't think he was even fired from the from the Beatles. A Ringo Starr in the Beatles and or one of the pet and oh, or one of the Pet Shop Boys. Okay, I no, 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 you boys, said Beach Boys. Beach Boys. Sorry, yeah, Beach yeah. Boys. Yes. Anyway, anyway, that's fine. Let's, 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 let's move on. I don't know on. what the picture let's... boys have got to do with any of that. So they were the first. I, went, I was. They were what was in my head. I don't know why. I was trying to think of each boy the picture. That boys. explains a lot, really. It really does. And Crystal. <laughs> Life is peaceful there. Go west, Go west in the open air. Okay. Oh, yeah, it was the Pet Shop Boys version of Go West. Not, yes. Not, not, uh, I, introduced, I introduced you, so was that, was that your that, bit? That, that's my bit. That was your bit? Yeah. To say that you were here? I'm still not that well. You're going west. I'm still a little bit ill. In the head? <laughs> yes. No. I'm sorry. There's the fl- so yeah, that, I, no, that's pro- perfectly appropriate. She's going west because it's warmer. <laughs> that's so true. I apologise if my voice is coming and going, so I apologise. Yeah, that's weird. It was perfectly fine yesterday. <laughs> uh, you'll be fine. Uh, so yeah, so this is uh, episode 158, so yes, as we alluded to, uh, we did uh, we missed 156, so it's good to catch up with the, the boys. The, the boys. boys are back in town. The boys. Oh, somebody bleeped. Yeah, look, Sorry, that Richo, was instead of paying attention to me, Richo is uh, playing on his surface. No, 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 Richo was unbleeping his surface so it wouldn't make any noise for when he does the review uh, of use of weapons. But, but I'm talking now, so you should be paying attention to me. <laughs> But you're not saying anything interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, but it's me talking though, and so therefore your eye should be drawn to me. The only interesting thing you're going to say on this episode is, and now we're cutting to Richo for his review of use of weapons. I just like to announce that uh, we've, we've cut uh, Richard's review. <laughs> so this episode will only have one review, Dust Jacket, and our Hugo War special. Hey, cool! Because I'm doing Yusuf Robert too. That means I can sleep for ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so for this episode, uh, as as is normal, we have two Dust Jackets. Dust Jacket number one will be Richo and Luke reviewing Choice of Weapons, who I believe was written by Ian M. Banks. It was indeed. I didn't write it down, so I did. Can you have a guess? Um, sorry, Use of Weapons. I think you said weapons of choice. You said yeah. choice of weapons. I said choice of weapons. Use, Use of, of weapons. weapons. I, f- I fucked it up so bad that I've combined two titles together. 
<laughs> that is my best fuck up ever. <laughs> we weren't going to do both. There's one titles. every episode. We weren't going to do both titles. <laughs> That's right. We were going to try to do both books on the same podcast oh just to confuse God. you even more. Hopeless. <laughs> so uh, sorry about that. That screw up, ladies and gentlemen. It uh, it is in fact use of weapons by Ian M. Banks. Yep. That's it. Nicely done. Sorry about that. <laughs> What was I smoking? Uh, a second dust jacket will be Crystal and myself, and that is Harper Lee's second novel, Go Set a Watchman. Second and probably last, let's be honest. When you said second novel, I thought you were going to get the title wrong again. <laughs> Go Set a Mockingbird. <laughs> anyway. To Kill a Watchman. And, uh, I like that, actually. To, to Kill a Watchman. Watchman. Good. That is, That's not, not bad. Um, See, yeah, see. Although Ghost Out of, Ghost Out of Mockingbirds also kind of good now that I think about it. Um, and uh, which it, something uh, pretty important uh, for us is that uh, the 2015 Hugo Awards were announced uh, just recently, last week. Yep. Um, and uh, so we've uh, decided that we it, that it's a perfect opportunity to not only mention the, the Hugo winners, which is what we do anyway, but also talk about something that we've alluded to quite often mm. uh, in a, a number of episodes with the, the sad puppies, rabid puppies. The yeah. controversy behind the, the controversy. Universe. All the puppies. Yeah, let's just let's talk about some puppies. And I don't mean cute ones. I mean arsehole ones. Would you look at these puppies? Ooh. <laughs> Hang on a second. Sweater puppies. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sweater puppies. <laughs> That's what they used to be called. <laughs> what, in the 50s? Yeah, in the 50s. <laughs> Rich O's just upset I didn't say dirty pillows. <laughs> dirty pillows. <laughs> Uh, anyway, this episode's gone gone mad. All right, so let's move on to uh, <laughs> Dust Jacket number one. Take it away, Richo. Thank you. So, use of weapons, as Dave, once he finally got the title right, said, <laughs> was uh, is a novel by Ian M. Banks. It was first published in 1990, and it is the third novel set in the I guess culture universe oh it's the um, third one it is the third one yeah oh. Consider Flavus and uh, Player of Games were the first two books oh see I thought the Player was the first one yeah no, no Player is the second one oh, um, and um, they're not they're not exactly a series of books like each book is standalone hmm. um, with the the culture being the backdrop for each of the books so it's you can actually read each one individually without having read the previous books right. it's not the nerd culture universe it is not the nerd culture universe no. oh you're on fire this episode um, so, so do, they have, they, do they have recurring characters at least um not not in the books that I've read oh, right. um and, and to be fair <laughs> obviously I've never read any of them well to, to be fair I've only read um player of games yeah. which we reviewed on the website way way back when yeah um and this is my my second culture novel but um having spoken to people who have read the whole series for the most part no you don't get recurring characters you just get the backdrop of the culture universe yeah i like that yeah i respect that um and and to very briefly explain um the culture is a highly advanced society that has overcome basically most of most of the world's problems uh there's no poverty there's no illness they've practically not quite managed immortality but the people live for hundreds of years um so they've created effectively a near perfect society um they've even like the federation well they've even they've even um there's a they've even incorporated um artificial intelligence as an actual um acknowledged life form 
Cool. Um, with equal rights to the organic life within the culture. So they watch Measure of a Man. Basically, yeah. Couldn't argue against Picard's awesomeness. Exactly right. But what um, what the culture does do is covertly influence other societies in an attempt to bring their their own standards and their own morality to those cultures. So they try to bring you know freedom and equality, and um, but they do it in yeah very very covert means, sneaky. very sneaky means. Um, so not Federation Prime Directive means. No, no, no the complete opposite of Federation Prime Directive. They will this, actively influence any society they can in order to. Um, so it's the anti-Prime Directive. Yeah, it, it, basically they'll they'll do whatever it needs to be done in order to ensure that those cultures embrace their their own belief systems and their own uh, morality. It's it's actually one of the. Um, in, it's one of the overriding questions that is actually posed in use of weapons: is does the ends justify the means? But you're saying in a sneaky way, not in a sort of American invasion way. Well, um, they more more, more of a more of an American um, Cold War kind of way, yeah. as in they will eliminate leaders, they will create wars, they will end wars, they will they will back one group over another group, they gotcha. will they will do whatever whatever it takes, yeah, basically. Um, and in I must admit, in player of games, the culture is actually presented more as, you know, they're the ones in the right mm. and what they're doing is the right thing to do and um and we just we go along with that. Mm. In use of weapons, that approach is questioned uh, quite quite dramatically um, through the the lead character, and I'm I'm wondering if that's just um, you know the, the, this book was written in 1990, mm. um, you know, so the you know the things like the Gulf War had started, and you were seeing the influence that America had had on places like Nicaragua, plus you know the end of the Cold War, the collapse of the Berlin Wall, and I, I, I wonder, and I, I don't have anything other than anecdotal evidence for this, is that maybe that's what Banks was trying to to discuss and, and sort of capitalise on because what was coming out about what America had done during the Cold War, um, now that the Cold War was sort of coming to an end, what they had done and the way that they had removed leaders and, you know, maybe that's part of what he was trying to question. Now, I, I don't know um, whether that is the case or not, mm. but it's certainly that that's how I read the book. Um, and unfortunately, Ian Banks passed away last year? No, year, year before. before. Um, so we can't ask him now, unfortunately. Mm. But to uh, use of weapons specifically, um, the story centers around a man called, now please bear with me for this one, Chiradanin Zakalwi, who was, is actually not a culture citizen. He was actually born outside the culture, but he is um, recruited to be an agent of the culture. Um, and he's actually, as the story progresses, you find out that he was actually a military general. Um, in, on his own world, um, but he has certain qualities that um, that make him um, I- ideally suited to work for the culture, specifically for a group called Special Circumstances. So, Special Circumstances is a group within the culture, and they're the ones that do all of these dirty tricks operations. and um, And he's recruited by an agent called Diziet Smar, who he's kind of a major character, but not. A supporting character that appears to be the major character early on, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, so the book has uh, is a dual narrative going on. 
Um, the first is um, when we when the when the series starts, um, Zakalway has actually quit. So um, Dizzy actually has to find him and recruit him for a specific mission. Now, I won't go into too much detail about that mission because, to be honest with you, it's kind of incidental. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> he, ha- he has to go and find somebody that they can then use uh, in order to try and prevent a war from happening. Mm. Um, then the second narrative um, is actually a reverse narrative um, where you basically go back through Zakalway's life and you find out how he's become the man that he's become what missions he's done for the culture, um, what he did before he was a member of the culture, and and so on. So those, those are the two narratives we follow, leading us to a big, big, big revelation at the end, um, which I'm definitely not going to reveal, because it would be nice to reveal it, because it's actually, it'd be great to discuss that in detail, but you don't want to spoil the book for readers. First, uh, first things first, um... Ian M. Banks, both as both as Ian Banks and Ian M. Banks, um, is a brilliant writer in the sense of uh, crafting sense of crafting prose. Um, his ability to draw words and create poetry without necessarily having to you know follow particular um, meters is astonishing, and the illusions and the metaphors that he draws um, are you know borderline genius. And he's been called a genius many times in his life. The problem, and he's also very good at creating uh, at least interesting interesting characters to want to explore. Um, use of games, the main character, and that the Wasp Factory, um, his main character, which also has a you know a revelation about who that person actually is. You know, all very interesting. The problem is that he's as a, a plotter and as a storyteller, um, his ability to to follow a chain of events. And to show to show character um, progression and development, not make character statements, is uh, it leaves a little bit to be desired. Um, the problem with Zikalway is that actually start. I think he starts off quite interestingly. You know, he, we see him in the flashback sequences doing some of the you know, committing an assassination and telling telling the person he's about to assassinate who he's working for. Um, and then in a later flashback sequence, we see him at another point in his life, just before Dizzy Atsma recruits him again, um, in which he is trying to distance himself completely from society, um, and through some through some various machinations, discovers he has to defend um, a girl's honor, even though she's actually sort of spat in his face. Um, and it, Takes it and then takes that out against the entire town, and then burns down the shack where he's burns down the shack that he's been living with in, in an attempt to get away. And they, it's kind of all interesting to see who this man is. But then it peters out as we go even further back into his childhood to explain some of the relationships to make to how so that the um, the end revelation makes sense. And it comes at the expense of what is currently going on in the wider culture story in. The, in the A story, where the um, his attempts to find the scientist to get into the war, and it's fa- it's fascinating intellectually, but emotionally it's not always re- um, resonant, and it means that he actually doesn't confront, even though it's meant to be a redemption story, he himself doesn't actually confront his past um, or have it presented in front of him to get him to the next stage, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that, that actually comes back to the point mm. that I did make earlier, that mm. the the plot in the present mm. is really completely incidental. Mm. Um, and 
Honestly, one of my big problems with the book, and I actually even found this a little bit with Player of Games, but Player of Games at least established an interesting character and had mm. me following that character right from the outset. But this book takes a long time to get going. Mm. And when when the book begins, you're following Diziet as a character rather than Zakalway. You've got Zakalway in the flashbacks, but mm. the flashbacks have no real context at this point. Mm. Um, but they are, as you say, they are interesting points in and of themselves. But there's no real context except that Diziet is looking for this guy. And then, so you're following Diziet for quite a while, mm. and then she finds Akalway, recruits him actually quite easily, and then she just becomes effectively a background character from that point onwards. And it's like, my, my first thought when I was reading this was, why, why spend all that time following her mm. when you could have actually had her recruit him very early? And it seemed to me that the only reason to, to drag that part of it out was so you could slip in more and more flashbacks for Zakalway. And, which brings me to the second point, um... Yeah, there's, I felt that there were too many flashbacks to Zakalway's mm. life, and some of them were really fascinating. Some of them I just just didn't really... It wasn't that they, they weren't necessarily interesting, I just didn't see the point of them, because the point of the character was being made already in, mm. in the stronger flashbacks that we see. Mm. Um, it, it gets to a debate, ultimately, about what you think the main story actually is. You know, Is it the, the present-day stuff where he's trying to um, find the scientist, or is it the flashback sequences? Well, I, I think um, it's I clearly think... the flashback sequences, but that doesn't mean that you can't make the modern story a little bit more interesting. I mean, there's there's a point where Zakalway, um, where you actually where where he, he's recruited the guy mm. that he needs to recruit, and he becomes embroiled in a war mm. as a, as a war general again, and he's like he's he's been placed back into that the position of being a soldier, which mm. earlier on and and through the flashbacks you see he never wanted to do again, mm. and that period I actually thought was the most interesting period of of the modern story. Mm. And, but it's only about, what, 20 pages or so yeah. of the story. And I'm like, well, you could have really, you could have done a lot more with that mm. and still incorporated all of these flashbacks um, and still giving me a picture of the character. And that's, but that's really what this is. This is a, a character study rather than, mm. rather than a plot-driven story. And that's true. But uh, there, are so, there are certain points where I thought, okay, there needs to be uh, some payoff to all this. Um, my big thing concerning Dizzy it was there are hints um, throughout the novel as to the relationship between Zakalway and Dizzy Ma and actually read that wanting to getting to thinking that we're going to get to the point where we're going to see what the, how their relationship actually started and yeah. see the development of their relationship um, because it's hinted at um, but as you say Dizzy sort of goes into the background um, and their relationship is actually never act- never fully explored. Yeah. Um, and given that that's actually the central relationship of the um, of the story, you know, the whole idea hinges around her having to go back and find this man who she's previously known to get him back into the field. Um, it feels a little. It feel it feels a little bit withdrawn in that sense, I guess. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that is true. There are, I, th- I think, a, a few positives here, though. I don't want to make it sound like mm. I hated the book or, you know, anything like that. Um, first of all, as you say, Ian, Ian Banks uh, is an excellent writer. Mm. Um, and I didn't, I, I never felt like he was just waffling or that he'd wasting, wasting words or anything like that, um, which is, I know has been a recurring complaint in a lot of these reviews. Um, and I actually think the character of Zakelway is actually really quite fascinating. Mm. And... The questioning of what the culture is doing and, the, and and recruiting this kind of person to do the kind of work that he does, mm. all of that I, I just find 
excellent. Um, because when I did read Player of Games, I was thinking, well, this is a culture that's forcing themselves mm. on onto other societies um, and is effectively manipulating those societies. And so I'm glad that he has then followed that up with a book about that. And um, and there there is a key moment towards the end there where basically everything that Zakawa has done, um, the culture then kind of has to reverse what his actions. They have to basically, in, in order to get the result that they want to get, they basically have to say to him, no, nah, sorry, what you've done is wrong and we're going to change it. And, and yeah, and there's a certain cold, coldness and callousness about the culture in that regard. Um, and so all of those aspects of it, uh, I thought were absolutely fascinating. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I did find myself at times a, a little bit removed because of the, the constant flashbacks and because the, the strength of the modern story wasn't... Um, wasn't as compelling as, as, as say, player of games was. Mm. Um, all right, I do want to bring up just one final point, and this is the the big revelation that happens at the end. Yep. Without spoiling what that revelation is, first of all, it didn't work for me, like, at all. Mm. It, the, the revelation comes at a point where so much has been already answered and mm. so many questions have already been posed about the character and the nature of the character that then to just throw this this sudden plot twist in right at the very end. Um, I don't know. First of all, I didn't feel it was necessary. Um, It Mm. didn't really enlighten me to the main character all that much. And in fact, kind of detracted away Mm. from the main character's story a little bit. I actually Um, found that I didn't care. Okay. The the revelation happens and I went, eh, really? As in, in, you're right, I actually, you didn't actually need that as... Mm. A final statement. Then, give, given that you know there is a, a couple of prologues and you know a quote unquote epilogue, uh, yeah. a, a, a couple of epilogues and a quote unquote prologue at the end, mm. I just went, well, you're baseless, and the cycle goes on. But this revelation about the main character, it, yeah, I just went, I actually don't care. Mm. Okay. I don't care about what we're what we're saying here. Um, it's the point's already been made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's, that, that, yeah, that is the main point. And um, the other thing too is the revelation. And maybe it was just me, hmm. but it was obvious. Hmm. As in, the setup for it occurs probably about halfway through the book, and the minute that the setup occurs, I'm like, "Oh, right, this is the plot twist." And then you get to that plot twist at the end, and it's like, "Oh, yeah, that is the plot twist." Hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it just it just didn't really work for me, and it didn't add anything to the story. Like usually, revelations of that nature hmm. are meant to make you look back at what you've read and go. Ah, right, now I can see this in a different light and I can understand it a lot more and, and that didn't actually happen with this revelation. But if you're going if you're going to be a story of redemption, then there needs to be something that challenges that, and there was never anything that really challenged Zakalway's redemption. Yeah. No one there is no opposing force against him. I thought it was going to be the AI, Skafen Amtiscor. Yeah. But, you know, that the AI um, fades into the background a bit with um Dizzy Smar until the end. Alright, so uh, rankings, final thoughts? Look, like you said, it's not a terrible novel, um, and I didn't hate reading it, um, but it's not uh, not one that I will probably revisit anytime soon. I'd give it two and a half looks. Um, I would agree with two and a half as a good ranking for it. Um, this, is, this is the culture novel that is actually praised by most people as the best of the mm. culture novels. Um, to me, it's not 
anywhere near as compelling as Player of Games, which I think I gave four, mm. maybe even four and a half. And I did. Yeah, I had an interesting reason. When I read Player of Games, I was like, this is awesome. I want to read all of the culture novels right now. And I couldn't because we had to reread other books for, for the reviews and everything. Um, having read Use of Weapons, I'm now sort of like, well, is, is, is Player of Games the standard that these books have or is Use of Weapons these books have? Is it going to be not bad or is it going to be the awesomeness that blew me away the, with the first book? So um, I, I will... I probably won't reread Use of Weapons, but I think I will go and read the other culture novels later on. So, yeah, so I'll also give this two and a half. Cornus, that was a good review. Thank you very much. <laughs> you both rock. Well, actually, only one of you rock. So we want to episode <laughs> to uh, review number two. It's Crystal and myself reviewing Ghost Out of Watchmen by Harper Lee and uh, Crystal's in charge so I'm in charge am I yeah, you're, you're, you're steering the, the review yeah. I'll just jump in every now and again because with my it, pearls of wisdom it was technically my pick it was, it was technically your pick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well I'll, I'll go through it as if people don't know anything about the book I'll just pretend I don't, I don't know how many people know the background of the book or not so um, this was a book that was intended to be published first before she wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, but the publisher had said to her um, she preferred... Oh, he? Uh, he? Yeah, the editor. Well, probably would have been, yeah, <laughs> at that time. Uh, he, Ooh, he preferred uh, the, the nostalgic parts of the book, and can she rewrite it to, to more to that sort of sentiment? Yeah, to focus more on the town and the character of Scout. Yeah. Um, uh, after having read Ghost Out of Watchmen, my feeling is that the publisher or the editor probably felt that it was too controversial for that sort of time period. Mm. Um, although To, Mocking, to Kill a Mockingbird did um, tackle some very topical social issues of the time, um, it, it, it doesn't really hold society open like bare bones like Ghost Setter Watchmen does. Yeah, Watchmen is dealing dealing with the issues in America and well, and specifically specifically Southern America. Yeah, and whereas whereas what uh, Mockingbird deals with the towns the townspeople and they're different. Yeah, different and and, and more and more and it's more of a um, Scout's childhood. I mean, the, tri- yeah. the in the book itself, the trial is almost a, a secondary plot rather than what's happening with Scout and her buddies. Hmm. So in Ghost Set of Watchmen, Scout's all grown up and we um, now mostly referred to as Jean Louise because she's a grown woman. Hmm. Grown women don't go around being called Scout except by their, uh, their dear old uncles and their father. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she now lives in New York, but she's come home as she does every year for for a holiday. And um, this particular holiday kind of changes changes her life because she discovers. I don't know if I can say it without spoiling. No, it's the main plot of the book. Yeah, she she discovers that Atticus is not well. He is the man she thought she, he was, but he he's not really the man he she thought she was. Um, it's. It's a revelation in every young person's life when they grow up to discover that, that their parents' moral compass may not be exactly the same as their own. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and I, I really like the lesson that... Um, look. Sorry, this, is this referring to... You can probably mention this. Is it referring to um, the shift in Atticus's... Well, there is no shift attitude? in Atticus's attitude. It's just mm. a shift in Scout's perception of Atticus's mm. attitude. Spot on. Um, 
Yeah. Can you just mention the actual insight in incident? Yeah. It's not a spoiler. It's not a okay. spoiler. It's actually been talked about widely. Well, basically, um, Atticus uh, has a, a town meeting and scouts there watching uh Jim oh, Louise is there watching, <laughs> unknown to him, um, and he starts saying some things uh, that probably considered racist uh, to our eyes uh, and her eyes, um, and, and she's gobsmacked by this. This is this has shaken her whole world view, and um, it takes her a little while to even talk about it, and then then there's a great confrontation between her and Atticus, and she decides to leave the town forever and never come back because she can't be with these people anymore because um, they just don't believe what she believes. And it takes her Uncle Jack to convince her to to look at it. This is actually the same Atticus you've always known and loved. He just is... You're just not seeing him through rose-coloured glasses anymore. Mm. Um, Atticus is still an, an, a kindly man. He still looks after his family. He still cares about other human beings. He's just a product of his society, and um, and I guess he he looks at African American people in a way that he's grown up and been taught to look at them. And I don't know that he's ever come across anyone from that community who is as strong as and intelligent as he is. And that probably, if he had, he probably would have completely changed his mind. Um, whereas Jen Louise is always just, as her uncle puts it, has been colorblind. She says people as people, whether they're black or white. But you can even see creeping into her um, vocabulary some racist overtones that she's not even aware of herself because she is also a product of her own times. I think this book, I actually liked this um, better than Mockingbird coming to think about it because it's a more open and honest book and not that Mockingbird wasn't honest but this one, this is more bare bones and it really shows off um, what society was like at that particular time and and I don't, I don't, I couldn't see this ever being published at the time. Hmm. I think if it was, I don't. It's really hard to say whether it would have made the same sort of splash Mockingbird did, because I think people would have, at least in the southern states, might have tried to deny it and say this is not how we are. I don't know. Maybe they would have embraced it. Probably not. No, it's a, yeah. At the, at the, at the, I think that's what the publisher ultimately fit. Sounds like what the publisher ultimately fit at the time was, mm. as you said, the controversy over you know. Um, the attitudes and the depiction of um, African Americans mm. in Ghost Head of Watchmen, and it, it's more the, the that attitude displayed towards African Americans in Ghost Head of Watchmen. Whereas yeah. in To Kill a Mockingbird, you've got, as the uncle points out, rose-colored, rose-tinted glasses that you can sort of look back at that on as well. And because mm. there's also the legal parameters, yeah, as well. You can I actually sort of had to go back and look at um, what the um Supreme Court decision was she was actually talking about because at the time it was written I suppose everybody knew but it was only sort of alluded to I had to actually do a bit of research and look that up to see what they were actually talking about mm-hmm. so um, that was kind of interesting not many books made me do that uh, I have a feeling that because of the rejection of this book and she sort of had to water down or didn't have to water down but she had to sort of make a, a write a book that was a bit more palatable for that society in that time maybe is that why she only ever wrote the she never wrote anything else. 
Um, okay, well, that sort of veers the review off into, into a sort of different sort of section, I suppose. But I'll just so sort of briefly touch on it. She she didn't want to uh, ever write again because she felt that the attention that she got that she gained from Mockingbird. I mean, she was basically it was declared the greatest American novel, and and yeah. and she basically she just wasn't a big fan of of the attention, positive and negative, and. Um, decided that she wanted to be known instead of just being known for for one particular novel to also to be known for other other things as well and so um and i guess the, the argument could be also be said that she didn't want to possibly ruin that situation mm-hmm. um but i mean i don't know i've never spoken to her about it but it's she i mean she never gives she know i mean she, she never gives interviews and and stuff like that so it's sort of kind of hard to know um there's also there's the in going in talking about Go to Watchmen specifically, um, there was a controversy about about it where because it's it's been released now since the death of her sister, who was also her caretaker, um, and so the argument was put forward to that uh, they basically have, have published it out beyond her wishes now that Alice is not there to stop it from happening. But there is a counter argument, of course, to say that that Harper's totally fine with it and that. You know, Alice was the one blocking it, and yeah, you know. I mean, uh, people say that um, she waited for Alice to die because Alice, uh, Alice was also her lawyer, and she was uh, kind of uh, like a Atticus Finch sort of figure, mm. and, and um, I think uh, Harper didn't want to hurt her sensibilities by publishing the other book. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, I didn't, I, I didn't want this uh, the review to sort of focus on sort of the controversial sort of aspect. We've spoken about it before and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so, okay, so. Uh, you said some very interesting things. So, uh, my view, my view on this is that uh, the editor. I, I, I had briefly tried to just find the name just then, but I think the editor uh, was a genius um, to suggest that she go back and refocus the original novel um, and and fix it up. It, it was was brilliant because that's exactly what needed to happen at the time. Um, I think I think you're right in saying that if this book released at that particular time during, I mean it was it would have been released uh, you know fifty eight fifty nine something like that. So this is so after the Brown versus Board of Education sort of situation. I just I just don't think it would have been received anywhere near as well as Mockingbird has been, and wouldn't have been the classic that it was. And that you know and, and Harper is is as good as she was, wouldn't be remembered in the way that she is now. Um, so. It, not only that, though, I think that it's just—I just don't think Watchmen is anywhere near as well written as Mockingbird is. Um, and it, putting aside the controversy of of Truman being involved, whether he whether he was or wasn't, who knows? I don't know. But this Mockingbird is so good that it's just there's just there was no real way for her to to make to for Watchmen to be as good. Um, I just I think it's just sort of it suffers from the sort of I, that, I, that I, sort of I, it's, that been a, it's been a long time since I've read Mockingbird, but I don't know about um, I can't really disagree with you about it being more well written, but I liked the Watchman's story better. Yeah, that's why I was going I was going to touch on that. The I mean I do I actually I did I did I do enjoy Mockingbird as a story as as well better than Watchmen. Um, so I, I was mainly sort of talking about sort of the writing itself, uh, but it's in, ter- in terms of story in context, yeah, actually I do prefer. I do prefer Mockingbird. I mean, it's just it has it has a different tone that uh, sort of that sort of spoke to me. Um, to uh, in reading Watchmen, it, it's kind of, it was hard. I mean, I tried to read Watchmen uh, um, as if Mockingbird didn't exist. 
All right, so it was a sort of experiment I had with myself, and obviously that's hard, right? I mean, we've, yeah. you know, we've all read it, we've all seen the film. It's a, it's a major, you know, part, it's a part of our lives. Even as Australians, I mean, I can, I can only imagine what it's like for the Americans reading it. But as you know, um, so so it didn't really work. It didn't. It was a, a failed experiment, I must admit. But that being said, I just I, you know, I just I just feel that Watchmen really is very much a first draft book. I just I just felt mm-hmm. that it needed, it really needed a lot more editing <laughs> and, and uh it's and i really wasn't really that taken with the story in i mean it was it was interesting in the in the you know the, the what happened next sort of sort of scenario so it was interesting to see scout you know oh, i'm sorry jean louise as a as, as a grown woman and and in her living in the 50s and you know and and you know her and life continuing and going back and and yes the the revelation that atticus isn't who she you know rem- remembers him being um and so so I, that was that was quite fascinating um but the rest of it uh, you know i just it didn't do it for me I, I guess being an australian the whole southern american ideals and all that sort of stuff i just i wasn't i it wasn't interesting to me and i couldn't really get sort of drawn into it i, I actually thought it, it was much well much more well put together than I thought it was going to be because mm. I heard it was a first draft, so I expected a lot more flaws in it than there actually was. So I, 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 I think it was actually much more well written than than you do, yeah. Because I came in with different expectations. Um, no, I, no, okay, fair enough. I found the the nostalgia scenes distracting, mm. um, whereas. To Kill a Mockingbird was all sort of nostalgia and from the childhood of that era. I found the, the, the these scenes distracting in this book because I just wanted to get back to the story that was happening then and there. Yeah, I, I completely agree there. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, the my, confrontation. That, yeah, so I was just going to say, uh, yeah. yeah, we're on the same wavelength there. I was just going to say my favourite scene is the confrontation between uh, Jean Louise and Atticus, and it was very, very powerful. Mm. Very powerful scene. And I, I can't remember reading anything in Mockingbird that seemed as powerful as that particular scene yeah. to me. I do I yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. And then and then later the later confrontation with Uncle Jack, Jack. um which I personally was I thought was a disgrace. Um as, as you always <laughs> I, I think I know you know different you think differently, but I just I mean uh, so, so to sort of to sort of set the scene there, um um as as Crystal's already already said that it's it's where Uncle Jack basically needs to explain Atticus. The facts of life. Yeah, yeah, the facts of life. Um, and he slaps her in the face uh, hard enough to draw blood. And and I just found, well, I found that that violence unnecessary. Um, and her reaction to it, I just, I just, I, it kind of offended me. I must admit, I just, why she doesn't just immediately kick him in the balls, I just don't get. Um, because it's nineteen fifty nine. It's nineteen fifty Southern America, and yeah. so it. It's, it, I found it kind of hard to sort of. I found it hard to pull away from that. So even though yeah. I understood logically why she reacts the way she does, mm. I just in the back of my brain I was just screaming, "It's like knife this guy!" It's, it's, you <laughs> know, it's, so it really, really got to me. So I read it. I read it differently because Jack's never been violent before, and I assume he won't ever be since. But um, I read it as. Uh, in the same way she would slap someone who's being hysterical, maybe not hard enough to draw blood, but she yeah. really was, um, like, she was on the verge of leaving town and never coming back again, and I think he was a little bit desperate to make him make her see his point of view. Yeah, desperate to control her. And, um, well, no, I don't think so. He wants he wants Scout, to, uh, Jean Louise, to stay in, in the town 
and um, help. Uh, you know, he, I think he wants her to be the, at the forefront of turning the town around to come to her way of looking at things. I didn't read that at all. Oh yeah, that's I don't know. Okay, sure, fair that's enough. Definitely, that, that's was, why he wants her to stay there. Yeah, Uncle Jack is the, the you say that he's the nice you know he's he's never hit her before and he's you know the nice old uncle and stuff. But I just, I found him smug and racist and controlling. No, I don't, I'll, could, race, racist in the same way as Atticus is racist. Yeah, um, controlling. I don't I don't think so. Smug. I think. I see what you're saying, but I think that's more of his academia and his quirky, eccentric ways. Okay, all right. I think, I think we've got on Uncle Jack a little too, too, too much. The character annoys me. Um, so, 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 so let's move to salute at the confrontation with Atticus, right? So to sort of, to set the thing out, so there was a bit, quite a lot of controversy when they revealed the first chapter of this book, um, which is which is the incident that you know causes uh, quite a lot of trouble. So it's, actually, I forgot to say my second favorite scene is in the first chapter of the book, and it, I think made me laugh out loud at the bit on the train i won't say what it oh, is oh the train was cool i won't say what it is but <laughs> when you read the bit on the train you'll know what i'm talking about i thought it was hilarious i <laughs> know <laughs> see knowing you i know you would think that was hilarious <laughs> um so yeah so so the controversy is that atticus is 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 a, a raving racist and uh, and we've discussed it on the, on the show before and it's and it's really not the case he, he is by the definition of racism of our day he definitely is racist, right? I mean, there's, uh, I don't want to try and pretend, pretend that he is. And it's, you know, he is a fictional character, so I'm not going to get all emotional about it. Um, he is. There's no denying it. But just about everybody at that time in you know, Southern America, as this book, is, this book proclaims, is. And it's a racism not of, of you know, it's kill not, all the blacks or anything like that. It's not in malicious yeah, it's, it's, attitude. It's, it's a very... It's, 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 it's fascinating. It's fascinating reading. It's... it's, it's the idea that African Americans are not as civilized as whites in the fact that you know they they're, they're like children they're like a they're like a society of children learning to become as as civilized and as as good you know self sufficient as whites and it's really this really didn't shock me this idea I mean it was one because you know I know the history Brown versus Board education and all that sort of stuff you know the civil the civil rights and, and you know and every, all that sort of stuff so it, it didn't it didn't shock me. What I what I did find fascinating is is that people's reaction to it is that it makes perfect sense for Atticus to be reacting the way that he does. Mm. Um, he's he's upbringing, uh, his education, and it's, it all all leads to this. It actually I actually don't think that Atticus is all that much different in Watchmen than he is in Mockingbird. No, but is that no. um, sorry to interrupt? Is but is that because people have sort of a a white knight view of Atticus Finch, which because he yeah. defa- he defends a black, an African American person on the stand, yeah. makes uh, several impassioned pleas as to um, status as a human and um, yeah, uh, yeah, he's, that, he's, so, he's become a representation of mm, of I, the struggle against the injustices. Yeah, that's that right. So I just yeah, that's, but that's totally right. He's become yeah. a symbol, and it's it's, it's, it's it's important to point out. I think that. The, a lot of people are basing this on the movie version of Atticus hmm. and not the book version. The book and the movie versions are actually different characters. Um, not significantly. I'm not talking mm-hmm. a huge change, but they are definitely different. He defends he defends a black man because not because he has some sort of raging sense of justice. He defends hmm. him because he's told to. Hmm. Right? So he's assigned to the case. Yeah. Right? When he then gets involved in the case, he, of course, is fight, he's fighting against 
the fact that he thinks that his his client is innocent. Yeah, the he's, fact that he's, he's standing black up for is not important. He's the standing up for justice yeah, and his innocence is important. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I'm, going to, I'm not going to go through bullet points, but the the evidence that is that is racist in Mockingbird is 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 many. Right, the fact that he's not a raving anti black person is mm. is clear. But he still, I mean, he still sends the, the his children, his white children, to a white school. He still employs a black maid, and she and makes her come in through the the back door. Not because he's ashamed, but because that's just the way the town works. Mm-hmm. He doesn't actually hate black people. Yeah, exactly. This mm. is just the way he he's he's grown up to learn how they are. Uh, it's and the view might be wrong, but. Uh, this is, this is what he believes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's so it's the so the whole idea that that um, that the African American society of that time are like children mm. uh, to us is is I think the thing that he's going on the evidence before him at yeah. the time and learned from probably the wrong people. He hasn't actually gone out and spoken to black people. Yeah. Just sorry, just a quick question because I actually haven't read the book. Does Scout challenge him on this viewpoint? Hmm. That's the argument yeah. we were talking about. She yeah. definitely does. Yeah, yeah. well, then, yeah. Then, she then, then I'm not saying then I'm not seeing a real a, a real problem there. If Atticus presents an argument and Scout comes in with the counter argument, then really that's just saying one character believes this, one character believes that. But yeah, but yeah, I think yeah. it comes back to what you guys were all saying earlier. There is this perception of Atticus Finch as this great anti-racist character when what he's really standing up for is justice yeah under you know under American law and and none of that changes yeah right so that's so that's it's important it's really important to note none of the none of the actual facts of Atticus's personality from Mockingbird are changed in any way right um so it's not I mean you know it's I guess the biggest controversy is that he is part of or he's is thinking about becoming part of a group that is kind of clannish. Um, I, I'm not too. Uh, yeah, but the the, the justification never, never for that is to to know what they're doing and to sort of maybe work for good on the inside. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So so it's Atticus is. I mean, his representation of Atticus, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is is perfectly fine. And and I, and I love I love that conversation. Mm-hmm. It just. I mean, it's it really really. Does, you know. um, yeah, the, 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 scenes that, the scene that actually I found most was, was uh, interesting was the conversations with Scout and um, Capernica. Uh, Capernica, yeah, the, the, the nanny slash maid. Um, in it, uh, I, I, won't, I won't detail all of it, but, but basically, essentially, the, the way I interpret it, and I hope that I'm correct, is that, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean Scout, Scout and it basically just flat out asks her, did you hate us? Um, and she doesn't answer <laughs> so it's it just, just i found it fascinating that the that the you know the happy you know it's and this is not my phrase but I, i'm going to borrow a phrase you know the happy negro that you know was you know around the white people and and you know did, and worked for them out, out of the sense of love uh, you know not just because they were hired and all that sort of stuff is, is thrown away you know what I, mean? I mean she she did it purely because atticus treated her nicely but also because she lost it because atticus um, defended her son in, for, for Athena, and so she did it out of a sense of loyalty, and because it was her job. Mm. I mean, what else was she going to do? And, and I think she had real affection for the children. Yeah, but affection versus the the love that Scout yeah. thought was yeah, there. I mean, it's her being, surrogate she wasn't mother. Being a mother, no. yeah. So it's I just I mean, it's a major blow to Scout's mm. 
worldview. Yeah, that's to Jean Louise. I keep on. I don't care. She'll always be scout to you. She'll always be scout. So I don't know. I mean, it's, yeah, I think this review's going a little, a little bit long, but it's it's. it's uh, I'm glad I read it. Um, I don't think it should have been published. I'll be right. I'll just flat out say that. I just. I think this is a, a, an obvious cash grab from HarperCollins, and uh, I just. I just don't think it was necessary to to publish it at all, um, regardless of whether Harper was approving of it or not. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm glad. I'm glad I read it, and uh, the fact that it exists is it's a, a cultural. It's important. It's important to to literary to, to literary circles. Um, but I just I just don't think it's any good. <laughs> a rating? Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll go with two, I suppose. Um, I disagree. I'm glad it was published, but I think it might have made a stronger impact if it had been published, say, 1967, 8 or 9. Yeah, we talked about this the um, other day. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, yeah. But I'm glad it was published. I'm glad I read it. And I, But I do think the raging controversy over Atticus being a racist overlooks the actual main point of the book. And I think the point was that um, children grow up and, and discover their parents... Uh, who they thought they were, yeah. and it just uh, that the parents are people. Yeah, parents are people, and, their and, opinions can and, change. and the pedestal that you put them on gets knocked over. I think that's yeah. that's the point of the book, mm. as well as um, social commentary about the times. But the the point that Atticus was a racist, I think, sort of overshadows the rest of the whole story. Yeah, um, if you just read that one chapter, then you're of course, <laughs> but you don't get any of the rest of the context. Yeah. Um, but I, I, as I say, I really enjoyed the story, um, regardless whether it was well written or not. I mean, it read well to me. <laughs> I'm not going to be that nickety about. I think it, it definitely about. needed another draft. Uh, um, um, so I'm going to give it a, a four, just because of that really powerful scene with um, the the fight between Scout and Atticus, and, and because of my other favourite scene that was really it did actually literally make me laugh out loud because it was that funny. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, well, that was uh, Ghost Head of Watchmen. Controversy even within this household. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so, uh, the next Dust Jackets, Richard? Uh, my next, next Dust Jacket book uh, is actually William Gibson's classic 80s novel, Neuromancer. Wow. So, uh, we finally got to Neuromancer. Yeah, look, it's, it's been on the cards for a long time. Um Now's the time. So, Neuromancer well, is up next for all you cyberpunk fans. I'm glad you chose it for that episode because that, this, that episode is, is my pick. Um, and since I'm not a Neuromancer fan, I didn't want to have to read it. So, that's fine. I'm good with that. Uh, so, yeah. So, since this is my pick, um, I'm going to go with Neil Gaiman's American Gods. So, Richo and Luke, Neuromancer. American Crystal God. and myself, American Gods. Awesome. Uh, so let's uh, move on to our special. Uh, I'm, I'm quite excited about this. I wanted to talk about this for a while. Mm, so uh, I as well. So, um, so it's our uh, 2015 Hugo Awards. We were going to mention the winners anyway, so we'll also take the opportunity to talk about the sad puppies and the, the rabid puppies. So take it away, Luke. The Hugos were held this year at, um, at Spokane at Worldcon. Now, the, um, the thing about this year is that the, um, the event itself, which is interesting... Um, mm-hmm. is really the product of um, months and months of controversy yeah. um, surrounding it. So I'm going to ask the panel to play a bit of a game with me now. I'm going to read out the nominees for 
for best novel. And I want you all... This is not a hard game. I just pointed that out. I'm not trying to trick you or anything. Okay. Um, but I just want you to tell me if you can all spot um, the ones that you think don't quite belong. The Three-Body Problem by Xi Jin Lu. Skin Game by Jim Butcher. Ancillary Sword by Anne Leckie. The Goblin Emperor by Catherine Addison. And The Dark Between the Stars by Kevin J. Anderson. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Kevin J. Anderson got a nomination for... I, I, Kevin J. Anderson is awful. I'm how, just going to say now, I'm not many, a fan. How many Kevin J. Anderson books have you read? I've read a couple, and they're not very good. Have you not read his whole entire body of work? No. Then so you can't say all of his work is awful? Yes, I can. No, you can't. We do it all the time, and I, I look, if, if, a, if a person is not writing very well, and I read a couple of their books, and I find that their writing style is bad, and that their plotting is bad, and their characterization yeah, is bad. I can cast that aspersion upon most of their work that they're not a very good I writer. I strongly disagree because people have got to write hundreds and millions of words before they become any good, as we've discovered with reading early Robert Silverberg. And yet, Harper Lee writes two books, and one of them is the greatest American not novel of the twentieth <laughs> century. Not everybody is Harper Lee, and not everybody is Isaac Asimov. Oh, right. So basically, you've just presented two authors that disprove your very argument. That's what I'm saying. No, no, no. They can completely prove my argument. Not everybody is those two authors. Most people have to slog through millions of words before they get good. Can well, I think maybe okay, one day he'll write a novel that's good, but I, I'm not going to be reading can it. Can I jump in with my segment? Yeah. <laughs> can we go right ahead. No, sorry, sorry. That's, a, that's a little bugger city on for a little while. But to be fair, we do it all the time, yourself included. We cast aspersions on people's writing or movie making or whatever based on what we've experienced of theirs, and I think it's a perfectly valid way of reviewing um, anyway, I, okay. Look, contro- controversy yeah, in the panel. Despite, despite the conversation that just occurred, I, I, I concur with Richard. And I think Kevin J. Anderson is most, most likely the most obvious odd one. Here. He's the most obvious odd one, and out. I'd go with maybe Jim Butcher as well. Well, Jim Butcher is the, is the is the odd one out because he's the he writes those Dresden books. He writes the he? Harry Dresden yeah. novels. Yeah, well, I, I mean, because I know the background, so obviously I know Jim Butcher is one of the odd ones out, right? Because yeah. I know he was put on there by the puppy slate. So I, I'm trying to keep my my guesses, okay. you know, I, without I knowing know, that information. Yeah, I, I don't know which books were put on by the puppy people. Okay, which right. ones weren't. Okay. But of that list, yeah. like, well, despite me laughing at Kevin J. Anderson, <laughs> Jim Butcher is is clearly a, a, a one that they would nominate. Yeah, right. Now, the reason why I want to play this game, play it this way, is that, and we will talk more about the Hugo Awards, but when the nominations were in, when I read the nominations in Locus, without any knowledge of the controversy surrounding this, I went, three-body problem? Yep. Knew that was going to be in there. Goblin Emperor? Yep. Knew that was going to be in there. Ancillary Sword? Yep. Knew that was going to be in there. What the hell is Skin Game and the Dark Between the Stars doing there? As if that was my immediate reaction. Yeah. And then, when the controversy erupted, that's when those two made sense. Right. And um, so this is your first sort of introduction to the puppy situation? Yeah. Right, okay. Um, so then you went back and then I went back and, did some research know, and stuff. Well, looked at, looked at seeing what was going on. And Locust actually, to be fair, Locust actually did a lot of that for me. They added a very good article um, talking about the controversy and um, people people's reactions to what was going on. Okay. Mm. Let's, 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 let me just do the, yep. the other the other winners and stuff. Yep. And then we'll go through the major plays of the events and, yep. the, and sort of go from there. You cool with that? Yep. Go All right. It. Cool. Awesome. Um, so yeah. So we've done best novel. So the winner was uh, the three body problem. Three body problem. Yep. 
And which the and the interesting thing about that we'll talk later on about that winning. Yeah. Um, but we'll talk about that later on as opposed okay. when it comes time to commentary. Best novella, no award. Yep. Uh, best novelette, The Day the World Turned Upside Down by Thomas Old Old Huvelt. Yeah. Huvelt. I think it's pronounced Huvelt. Is he Norwegian? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, best short story, no award. Best related work, no award. Best graphic story, Ms. Marvel Volume 1, No Normal by G. Willow Wilson. Sorry, on your recommendation, I read Ms. Marvel a couple of months ago. Yeah. Awesome. It is awesome. Absolutely Mm. awesome. And um, nice to see that in this year of Hugo's that a comic book written by (laughs) an Islamic female Pakistani woman about an Islamic female Pakistani character actually won that award. So. Yeah, it's pretty, it was interesting. That is awesome. I, I, don't, I don't know if there was other nominees here, but they were, they were all worthy. I, I uh, so. Saga, Saga Rat Queens, Queens. Uh, Sex Criminals, and the Zombie Nation book. Yeah, there you go. See. Yeah. Well, actually, I haven't read Zombie Nation, so I can't say. But every, yeah. everything else, I would have been happy with any of them winning. Uh, best Dramatic Presentation, Long Form, Guardians of the Galaxy. That's written by James Gunn and Nicole Perlman. And obviously we're talking about the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, best dramatic presentation short form, uh, an episode of Orphan Black called By Means Which Have Never Yet Been Tried, written by Graham Manson. Cool. Um, I can't remember which episode that was. Season two, I believe. Uh, best editor short form, no award. And we'll come back, to, obviously Luke will come back to these editor awards. Mm-hmm. Best editor long form, no award. Best professional artist, Julie Dillon. She is very good. Um, this one I had to look up. Best semi-prosine. It's a magazine. It, yeah, it's a ma- it's a magazine, but it's not say it's more than a fanzine, but less yeah, than a magazine. Yeah, it's just like you know where you make a little bit of money off. Yeah. You know, to cover production costs. My understanding was that it was more than a fanzine, but less than SFX or something like that. Yeah. So anyway, weird. Uh, Lightspeed magazine. Yeah. Uh, best fanzine, Journey Planet, which I've heard is awesome. Anyway, uh, best fan cast, Galactic Suburbia podcast. Uh, best fan writer, Laura J. Mixon. Best fan artist, Elizabeth Leggett. And finally, the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer, which is sponsored by Dow Magazines, is not a Hugo Award. I just yep. have to point that out. Uh, Wesley Chu. So there you go. So I just want to point out the episode of Wolf and Black, because I've just checked, is the final episode of season two. Yeah. yeah. So And that was awesome. It was, was awesome. Great, that was a great cliffhanger episode <laughs> to end the season on. And then so. uh, they ruined it with season three. Anyway, so, yeah, so there's the, uh, the winners and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will now pass over to young Luke to... Okay. Give, us, give us the events. All right. So, that's the bare bones of it. And it should be pointed out that in the um, the award ceremony itself, a record was um, broken that, you know, over the 50-odd years of the, Hugo, of the Hugos being presented, um, there have only been five times where um, Noah, before this year, where Noah, Mr. Noah Ward... Um, Read his ugly head. Was uh, uh, was able was felt felt um, gratified enough to actually receive an award, and he had a pretty busy year this year because he was able to break that drought, that that fifty year record, and he managed to secure five different or five awards in five different categories. He was nominated in quite a few. It should be pointed out as well. Yes. So he's, he's a particularly talented person, Mister No Award. I'm going to change my name via Depol to No Award. Good. <laughs> so you'll be so, a, just a, so it, you'll be a ten time Hugo Award winner. Just, just to explain, so No Award. So when you vote for uh, a Hugo in a, in a category, you can vote for one of the ones on the slate, mm-hmm. uh, or you can or, vote No Award, yes. meaning that I don't think anybody should win. And the reason for that is this, as in the reason why this year. Five. There was another world record broken. The amount of people voting. Yes, 
Because uh, you have to pay to vote. Yes, no, no, I'll get, I'll get to some yeah. of this in a sec. Rolling um, and the reason why why five this year is very simple. Mm. Um, and it does relate, also relate to what you just brought up there with and the other record being broke, which is the sheer number of people. Mm. Um, last year was LungCon, and that had over 3,000 people. This year had 5,653. Mm. So a further 2,000 people registered and signed up, which is not cheap. It costs $40. Mm. To um to register for to register as a member for Worldcon and vote in the Hugo's, so it's not a cheap exercise. And the reason is this: when the initial voter nominations opened and the initial um, nominations were announced, um, websites started to actually correlate between what was going on in the actual nominations and the two nominating slates put forward by both a group called Sad Puppies, which is which was started by Larry Correa back in 2013, and this year was run by Brad Torgerson. Mm. Um, and then the Rabbit Puppy Slate, which is organized by Vox Day, and the- also, known as, um, also known as Theodore Beale. Theodore Beale sorry. Mm. Let's go with Sad Puppies first. Um, Sad Puppies was originally started by Larry Correa, who self- says it himself, he, nom- he wanted to nominate his own work to basically give um, put the give the the Hugo the big finger, mm. and he sort of started as a bit of a joke, but then it managed to um, snowball. And the whole idea behind what Sad Puppies is trying to do is it's trying to put forward more um, working class work. Working class, what? Yeah, blue collar is how they describe it. work. You know, more your sort of your grand old adventure style fiction, traditional mm. science fiction. See, I I, I would argue I wouldn't, that I wouldn't even say traditional. Say more pulp sensibility, yeah, so more your E.E. E. Doc Smith type stuff. Yeah. Um, ones that are typically written, uh, t- and I say typically because they're on this like they do actually have female authors and editors, um, but typically written by white males. And the whole idea being that, you know, the Hugos themselves are politicizing everything by nominating works that ha- speak to a political, certain political bias, a certain gender bias, a certain race bias. Hmm. Um, and that, you know, mer- the merit of wider, more popular work is being overlooked. Um, exactly. The problem, I think, with that argument is that it, that's, it, it is also very subjective. And there are people who, you know, read these things like the three-body problem and actually enjoy them as well. So they see the merits in the work itself. And what Sad Puppies didn't do, instead of um, talking about... Instead of actually embracing fandom and getting fandom on side, they decided to politicise it and have, you know, sort of organise on block um, vote, um, block voting um, yeah. instead. Which, needs to be pointed out, is actually not technically not illegal according to the rules. No, it's not illegal. And it's not even illegal in, you know, many other non... Mm. Awards, but even, but even going to the Worldcon awards, yeah. they've actually done nothing wrong yeah. technically. Yeah, it's just, and that's, it's and just that, a very unhanded it's approach. Just a, it's just a very unhanded approach, and it speaks mm. to it's, a political. It's underarm bowling, and speaks. <laughs> <laughs> underarm bowling should be illegal, but yes, speaks you're right. to a um, nice, nice metaphor. Mm. <laughs> it speaks to a political bias on the part of sad puppies. Um, it should be pointed out, however, that Larry Correa, Brad Torgerson, and I forget who's taking over because Brad Torgerson, in the wake of all this, has actually resigned as being as being the organizer of Sad Puppies now. Yeah. Um, because of all the political fallout, it's become something he didn't want it to become. Or... Uh, no, it's more the politic. It's more in his view that he sees the political backlash against what's happening, what's mm. happened to him, mm-hmm. um, as um, being the the chief reason. Um, it's, it's, I do need to point out that he's not he's not backing away out of any sense of justice. No. It's just because he's been slammed mm. and so now he's pulling out. 
However, let's, be, let's be honest yeah, here. Yeah, no, I, I, I fully, that, I fully agree with what you're saying there. The sad puppies people in this case are the moderates. Yeah, they are the moderate right, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, and in any uh, in any other year, people would have just gone, "Ah, oh, yeah," not not necessarily dismiss them out of hand, but wouldn't have seen them as being a major a major cause for controversy. I actually don't disagree with some of the things sad puppies are saying. Mm. I actually don't at all. Right? I, just, I do think that there is definitely um, a leaning by the Hugo people to more diverse works at the cost of things that actually were better. Mm. Um, and and I disagree with that. Right? Mm. I, just, I, just, I just find... I've, I've got nothing against um, looking at diversity. Mm. Right? I mean, of course. Right? Of course. You need to have a, a more diverse situation. But I'm very much of the school of not at the if there's a superior work by a cis white male mm. then it should be nominated and win mm. right? it doesn't matter is why why did why should they be it's actually why should they be um what's the word discriminated against mm. because they're white male uh, a couple of things on that point uh, the uh, the wider ideology of what you're talking about there i think a lot of people actually do respond to you know popular mm. works wanting needing to be nominated needing to be nominated regardless of yeah it's popular shouldn't be a bad thing talking yeah, about no. the merit and quality of yeah, the work yeah the quality. merit and a lot of people and that's in both sides of both the left and the right side in this controversy have you know said that really this has all come at the cost of the merit of the work yeah. um and a lot of people you know would describe the ideology it's more when you take the ideology away yeah and then you they're starting to talk about the other things, yeah, the the rate, the, the the fact, you know, the one they they had a problem with ancillary justice, which we both you and I, Dave, enjoyed yeah. because of the gender. In spite of the fact that you and I would argue that it actually does have some of what they want, you know, it does have an adventure component. It does have, you know, grand space battles. Yeah, um, it's just that you know the main character who is um who describes herself as female and is artificial intelligent sees every th- every other person around her as being female. Yeah, and Celia Justice is the perfect example, I mm. think. It's I mean Celia Justice covers everything they could possibly want. Yeah. I mean it, mm. it has a diverse mm. cast mm. And, and, and ideologically mm. but it has the, the plot that they like. Yeah. So, but what? it's written by a woman. Mm. Yes, but that's, but that's the thing. They're not anti-women mm. as Luke himself pointed okay, out. Okay, okay. Look... It, they're not saying that they're anti-women, but honestly, some of the and this is not this is not all of the sad puppy people or the ultra crazy ones. The what are they? Rabid puppies. Yes, yeah, so I puppies. think you're only the rabid puppies. There, there are some elements of this that do read as as anti-women. Like like Luke said, white men is what they seem to be. Yeah, the some ones these, they seem to be promoting. But some so. of the people on their slate are women, though. Yeah, in the editor, in the so, editor. Yeah, but. but but Some of them, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with you. Some yeah. of them, yeah, you can sort of see elements of that. Mm. Yeah. But I don't think they are I mean, it's, it's, it's quite, it's quite as bad as the rabbits when we get to those sort of stuff. Um, yeah. but, yeah. but anyway, but as we, as, as we sort of... Oh, I hesitate to use the word prove. Mm. But as we've seen ourselves, win, just the winning of the Hugo doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good book. No. <laughs> it's like there's, we've covered some mm. Hugo winners themselves mm. that are just flat out terrible, yes. let's be honest. All right, so, and, and I believe there were more worthy options in those years but um like and first of all as as has been stated award ceremonies aren't about what's the most popular yeah because by that logic um you know michael bay should have won about eight academy awards by now exactly for his films um so uh, award ceremonies are often looking for things that are 
are different. The things that, that aren't doing the same thing that has been done over and over again. And a lot of the books that, that the Sad Puppies people are talking about are books that are just covering the same ground that's been covered mm. plenty of times before. And an award ceremony like the Hugo shouldn't be looking for that. They mm. should be looking for books that are challenging and interesting and different because that's what science fiction at its best has always done. Mm. You know, and you go back to the earliest yeah, but their winners. Argument, no, but David, the argument is that they're saying that being a challenging and popular is automatically overlooked. But what they're saying, no, but but part of their argument is that these these pulp books that are just basically doing the the pulp stuff that's been really but the style of writing and the the the, the subject matters and things that have been covered since the nineteen thirties mm. that these books should be getting nominated and be getting you know now to to me. That's not what the Hugos are about, and it's really not what the best of science fiction is about. Um, the Hugos, regardless of the sad or rabid puppies intervention, uh, the, it's, it's an organisation where you have to actually pay to vote. So that means you have to be actively interested in what you're voting for in the first place. So... Um, I'm thinking that people may have their own agenda in the first place in wanting to actually pay to vote, and they will push that agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may not necessarily be about whether it was the most well-written um, and best story. It may be because they're still pushing an agenda, regardless of any organisations that have formed throughout along the way. Yeah. So I, I don't know how accurate a, a portrayal the Hugos can be even if the sad and rabid puppies didn't even exist. Spot on. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. No, that's that, that's exactly the and point. And I, I had yep. the same problem with the Academy Awards. Mm. Yep. Yeah, no, well, that's I mean... Ex- that's the, exactly what I was leading to. The, the, Miramax, the Miramax approach to the Academy Awards. Exactly. Where you just yeah. wine and die your way into a victory. Um, but, in, I mean, every, every awards yeah. ceremony could have that labelled against them, yeah, I suppose. Totally. Mm. Oh, totally. Um, the other thing about the non-white thing was that, you know, two years ago... The Hugo's actually was won by uh, by John Scalzi, Scalzi for Red yeah. Shirts. Yeah. So, you know, who actually is... Which is cool. <laughs> I've, never, I've never read it, so I can't comment on it. But it's, actually actually, done, it's actually pretty funny. He actually writes the type of stuff that they would generally ascribe to anyway with the Old Man's War. Yeah. I mean, they didn't say all of them were like that. Look, they, they say it's just the general push was for that. Mm. They're not saying that, that, you know, white male roaring adventure guns never won. Mm. But just, then they're also saying, wasn't it acknowledged that they're trying to get their own stuff nominated? Yes, yeah. So that's really, so really, that's 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 self-interest mm. disguised as a political movement. Yeah, like it's, so, it's 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 literally just saying, uh yeah, it's, it's like having a big sook. Uh, I haven't been nominated or won in a Hugo Award, so therefore the Hugos are wrong, not my writing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, which is what something that um, Robert Poppy's founder Vox Day accused uh, Patrick. I want to say Patrick Nielsen Hayden. An editor um, basically accused him of, you know, creating the editor long form a campaign for the editor long form category yeah. because he got sick of losing constantly the Garden of Desire every year because <laughs> Garden of Desire, who was you know says, one of the best editors the industry has ever had, yeah. um, was winning because he would just knock out short story, knock out short story after short story in Asimov's. Yeah, but consistently good, consistently good story. Um, so, is that a good segue into the rabbits? That is a great segue into the rabbits. Okay, like I said. The sad puppy. The sad puppies are the moderates in this whole affair. Yeah. The ultra right wing, the Tea Party of, um, of <laughs> speaking what, of, of good what metaphors is, of, of what is called Puppygate, um, belongs to Vox Day. 
and the rabbit puppies. Now, Can we still you... calling him Vox Day because he, he, that's I mean that's meant to be loosely translated as the word of God. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> say that anyone who calls himself God automatically puts. Can me we, can I was going to, to, was going to make the point that you know he he actually nominated himself. Yeah. As Vox Day. Yeah, yeah as point, Vox Day. As, yeah. And the point that I would make this is that the man's actually at his basic coward because he's got no guts to put his own name into the um into the editor. Wow. He's got to put his um his secret he's got to put his um super super villain identity nice. um, into into the categories instead of actually put it, of, instead of being a person and actually putting his own name up there for everyone to revere or revile at their discretion. Um, gotcha. And this is a man who now it should be pointed out before I get onto my editorializing of yeah. the rubber puppies. Yeah, let's and go, go, go for the events. I would actually like to point. I'd actually like to point out um, that the slate between sad puppies and rabbit puppies is very similar. Yeah, um, they had about four that were the same. One of who, one of who was um, a person who actually eventually founded himself off, found himself onto the ballot initially, as in the Hugo ballot initially, which was uh, Marco Close. Four lines of departure, um, but when this story broke, he went. Marco Clouse went. Uh, this is actually detracting from what I feel is people judging the merits of my work on its own and putting a political bias and an agenda onto my work, as pushing it forward as part of their own thing, not allowing my work me to feel that my work is being appreciated for its own merits, as any author really should feel a right to do. Yeah. Um, so he actually went. I'm putting my own... I'm taking myself off the ballot here. Mm. And it was then replaced by the three-body problem by Xi Jin Lu, which, which is kind of ironic given that that's the one that won in the end anyway. Yeah. Um, which is what I was alluding to before. When this story, when this story broke, the, um, the backlash was pretty much immediate. Mm. No one liked what was going on. Yeah. I'm saying this not having talked about rabbit puppies yet, but I want to save rabbit puppies. Okay. Um... Uh, and there was immediately um, a backlash. George R. R. Martin was one of the um, one of the main spokespeople um, who talked about um, just what how bad what what sad puppies and rubber puppies were doing. Um, it led also to a guy called Philip uh, Sandifer, who was probably one of the more extreme left wing um, proponents, to actually encourage people to also vote vote um, block style. Um, for Mr. No Award. Yeah. Um, uh, his movement was called Puppy Kickers, and it's sort of ironic that, you know, the only thing that the, um, the, the left could come up with was to combat what was going on was to do the exact same thing mm. that um, sad puppies and rubber puppies were doing. And that is also... Um, that also came under a lot of criticism as well um, because it was as Mr... Uh, Robert Truszynski um, wrote on thefederalist.com their counterculture is not about creating a new culture it's about destroying the culture of their opponents yeah um, which I also think is and I, you know, being a left wing person myself I don't entirely agree with the no award block style vote you no. know it should be just based on what you personally feel which is what George R.R. Mm. Martin said he said um, you know I I don't believe that voting no award across the board is actually got a good thing. I don't think it's good for the Hugos. Um, it can stand uh, a couple of no awards. It can't, a couple of no awards in a couple of a couple of nominations. It can't do it for an entire night. 
Yeah. Um, and I think he was right about that. Can, can, um, we, can we just insert what actually happened on the night, or are you going to get to that eventually? I'm going to get to that eventually. Oh, okay, cool. I know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, I just, I, I'm just, I'm fascinated by, by it's, it's the. I mean, like I said, I follow Vox Day. So after the event, he didn't attend, but after the event, he basically declared victory. Yes. Right. Um, and as as much as I, I'm not a fan of this man and, and his and his singers, actually, I, I, maybe a bit of controversy here, but um, I, I think he's he's kind of right. Like the, what yeah. actually what actually happened at the event, I think, is it actually is a disgrace. So every time the no award was announced, mm-hmm. people were cheering. Like cheering no awards. I don't. I don't think it was victory in the sense that he thinks it's a victory. No, that's that's why no, I want. That's no, why I want to. I do want to clarify. I do want to clear up. Clarify that. I mean, it's, it's, it's. I mean, he's he's delusional mm. if he thinks there's a victory for his cause. Yeah. But I do think the event was tarnished. Yes. By the fact of, I mean, in fact, the Sabotaged. event. I mean, the no, the, the no award business itself, right, mm. is 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 a tarnished enough. But the fact that people were cheering, mm. and we're not talking the. The puppies people weren't cheering. No, the the Hugo people the were cheering. Kick, the, puppy the puppy kickers were, and that that I just think is is just beyond the pale. Yeah. It's, it's it's unacceptable it's, behavior. I I agree actually with what you're saying and what Crystal's saying. Yeah, I don't think the victory is what he claims it is. No, but at the same time, what he has done is draw attention away from the books themselves mm. and onto his cause and what and so he's made this year's Hugos. He has made it all about himself. And unfortunately, the Hugo people have fallen into that trap because now all of the attention for the 2015 Hugos is not on the books themselves, the quality, the merit of them winning the mm. awards, but it's on this rabid puppies and, and what rabid puppies has done. So, so really, all he's done is succeed in drawing attention to his cause. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so, therefore, in that regard, yeah, I think he has won. Yes, well, it's, it's at least a victory. Enough to draw attention to, to his cause. And to people to I don't know if he got the attention he was actually looking for. This is, and this is, this is but the, he's brought his, he's brought his, his cause to the forefront. He's brought it to the forefront, but I think, I think there's a short-term... It's a, it's a short-term gain. And I think what a lot of the sites here have forgotten is a couple of key things. One, people turned out in record numbers this year. Hmm. Um, signed up, paid their two bits, or 40 bucks. Voted against, against the puppies, and the numbers. You know, the Hugo's have actually published. Now they put the, the actual numbers. Yeah, they published the numbers, and they published the ranking in which all the um, in which all the nominations um, came. So no award was constant was always placed above um, any of the sad puppies people mm. and any of the rabid puppies people. Interesting. So the, the so what basically what he's done is that he's actually caused. The, um, the actual the left actually come out in their numbers and say no we don't want this yeah. or people who actually don't agree um, not necessarily left not necessarily left wing people but you know people who just don't agree with the way that they've done it to come out and say no to this as well so more people actually voted against what who sad puppies and rabbit puppies are um, this year as well so you can't actually can't you actually just see his point though like a, oh, no, a massive no, no. a massive blanket bombing of the event is not See? a victory. No, 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 no. What, That's what I would have actually done in their case is rather than than draw attention to to him and the cause, I would actually have done what we were saying earlier. Like the 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 where the the no awards mm. winners come from is all the the categories that are dominated by. Uh, Castalia House Publishing, yes, yeah. of which Box Day is like the lead editor. So yes. I would have actually gone. Um, no, this isn't. If, if I was if I was counter arguing this, I would have actually made the story 
this is Fox Day trying to nominate himself and his the, the group that he's a leader of. I would have just focused entirely on that. This is not about what the Hugos are that's nominating. That's exactly what they this do, Richard. What are you talking about? They do. Yeah, but... That's what the No Award is, dude. But that hasn't become the... But that, but you mean you're the No about, Award you're has become about. the story. The the reason for the No Award is what really should have been being promoted right from the start. So when this... Yeah, but that's already been done. Mm-hmm. In yeah. the event itself, so. what other choice did they have? Mm. Yeah, but the argument... The way they presented their argument should have been stronger and it should have been about Vox Day just nominating himself. Mm. But instead, they drew attention to the Rabid Puppies and what the Rabid Puppies' mm. argument was rather than what Vox Day himself was, was doing. I would have gone more... I would have gone more an attack on him mm. and why... And, and the real reasons why they think he's he's doing this nomination, which has nothing to do with the politics of, of the Hugos or anything. And, yeah, I think the, the reason why the No Awards thing has happened is, I think, lost. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yes. Um, the other point that I was going to make about um, all this is that we fandom does... And this is another thing. I think fandom has actually been forgotten in a lot of all this, mm. if that makes sense. A lot of it has gone... It's been politically biased towards, you know, what writers and um, editors are doing. But people have forgotten that if you don't get the fans on board, then you've got no hope. So that's what I think Sad Poppy should have done. If Sad Poppy's had actually phrased, and this is sort of getting back to what um, Richard was sort of saying a little bit, if Sad Poppy's had sort of phrased what they were doing and skewed it more towards, you know, making it fun and a fun campaign for the thing for the fans to get involved in, there'd be no issue at all. Yeah. Um, uh, but because they didn't do that, because they decided to make it a political point instead, um, people reacted against that. Um, and I think it's been lost on all sides that if you get fans involved, Mm. Um, then you can make it fun. It's not going to be anti anything. It's not, you're not going to lean towards a political bias. You're going to be talking about what the culture of um, science fiction actually is. But didn't that only happen because the rabbit puppies got involved? Yes, like I said, rabbit puppies kind of ruined every kind of ruined the game for everyone. Yeah. Um, I. But the point that I'd make to your comment earlier about them stealing, winning the night, they won it in the short term. Yeah. But our memories are long. And so what it means is that next year, um, instead of... Because everyone... One of the fallouts from this has been everyone saying, oh, you know, next year, more of the more of the rubber puppy slate are going to be nominated, more people are going to vote for the rubber puppies. They're not. What people are going to do now is that people are going to sit down and go, okay, are these people actually being represented fairly or are they actually part of a wider political bias um, and they will vote... They will react accordingly. Well, hope... We fans don't like being told who to vote for. Right. And that's pretty much all I've got to say on the actual Hugos themselves. Gotcha. I was going to talk a bit more about Vox Day or okay. Theodore Beale, right. but everyone's been talking a little bit about it. I'll just make this point, though, he him- that he himself um, doesn't actually seem to hold much in the way of any sort of creative cachet, any sort of creative cache. A lot of his stuff, as you probably followed on his tweets and on his um, on his website, a lot of his stuff seems to stem from um, a, an absolute hatred. He does that politi- he does that extreme thing of reacting against against a political bias instead of arguing issues or points or just reading things for the sake of reading them. One of his things is socially justified. You mean social justice warriors? Social justice warriors. Yep. And he's written several books and published several books and several articles basically saying that social justice warriors are evil and they lie. In fact, that's one of the titles of one of them, social SJWs lie. Um, always lie. Always lie. I've got a signed copy of it. 
no, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's that it's 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 the problem that I ha- it's the problem I have with all this. It's uh, it's looking at the extreme view and then reacting against another view, not looking at what is ultimately you should be doing, the, looking at the merits of the work itself. It's also become personally mean towards individual people mm. as well. We called somebody half savage, was not Yes, he called that. He said that uh, Nora K. Jemison, which was the one, uh, who's an African American woman. Um, who wrote The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms, which was the one Hugo one um, Hugo nominee that both Richard and I thought was should have actually won the year Connie Willis won for Blackout. Um, exactly. Um, and I don't know this. I haven't read about the circumstances, so I, all I can read is that bald faced. Um, oh, I can give you the background if you want. I don't. I don't need it. That's the thing. I don't need to know what he he called her an educated but uh, but ignorant half savage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is not on, and a lot of his texts are like that. He's made plenty of claims about, um, a, plenty of anti-Islamic, anti-Semitic, anti-woman, anti-atheist um, yeah. claims, and nothing particularly well-educated, all um, particularly biased and bigoted. But right. that one particularly was malicious and directed specifically at a at person a, at to a diff- hurt. Hmm. Okay. Which is- it all stems from his belief that that. Africans are genetically inferior mm. to whites. Getting back to sort of Atticus Finch a bit, I guess, in yeah. Ghost Out of Watchmen. <laughs> right. Is, is, this is this kind of becoming a Vox Day attack. I, don't really, I didn't really want that. As far as Vox Day goes, I don't think that um, we should give credence to anybody who is trying to self-serve by creating a political argument. Yeah, but there's a difference between credence and, and attacking the person. Like, aren't well, we, no, just, no, aren't we not, then just doing the same thing? No, we're not attacking the person. We're attacking what he's done. Mm. And and how he's gone about it. Okay. That I don't think has any credence. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, I agree. But as long as that's what we stick to. Mm. Okay. Well, I think we have. Okay. Mm. All right. Um, apart from that, that's pretty much really all I've got to say. All right. At the risk of of uh, staring your ire, mm-hmm. as I actually don't, I actually don't really disagree with his social justice warrior comments. I must admit. I'm not a big, not a big SJW fan. I do, I do admit that. But everything else, though, mm. I goes back to what Richard just said. But that's, it's, it's but that's like a, everything, everything he's done. And, see, the, and pro- the problem I have with that is, that terminology is that it's an, it's a big umbrella term. I'm just lumping you all into this one because yeah, I, this is, which yeah, I think it's it's a way to dismiss the arguments of people who are standing mm. up for a belief yeah. by just blanketing them without actually <clears throat> counter-arguing their mm. points. Mm. Oh, no, you're a social justice warrior, so that, why should I listen to you? It's a thing that both, yeah. both both extreme views of the left and the right do. Instead Absolutely. of actually instead of actually looking at what the issues are and what people are saying, mm. um, they sort of lump people into one category and they cherry-pick um, things that suit their beliefs instead of... Yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I yeah, don't it's disagree. It's bias. It definitely, that, what you're saying is definitely true, mm-hmm. but... There have been certain individuals yeah. that have acted exactly the way he's described they have. Certain, yeah, cer- certain individuals. Yes. Not, and that's my problem. Yeah. It's not about um, looking at... It's not about looking at the individual person itself, although he does attack N.K. Jemison, mm-hmm. but not actually um, arguing against anything she said or um, written about. It's actually calling her yeah. um, something that is quite... Um, quite nasty yeah and yeah. that had to be intentionally hurt yeah oh it and definitely that, and, it definitely was yeah. and that's and that's what i mean it's it, yeah. it's that umbrella term and not looking at um specific instances 
Yeah. But and and saying that that's the result or the that's the result of work of one of an individual. It's calling everyone. Yeah, who doesn't agree uh, with the, you. The reason the reason I'm not a fan is because I mean going back to what Richard said is he I mean because of what he did, hmm. um, but also because I just think he he does exactly what he tells other people off for doing, hmm. and it's well, it's it's hypocritical. Yes. So it's but it's, so we'll just hmm. we'll move on from that. Yes. Is that okay. All right. Cool. So the so the yeah. So in conclusion. Um, it was certainly an interesting year. Um, yes. <laughs> and yeah, like I said, the lead up, the the lead up has probably been far more interesting than the actual awards ceremony themselves. Although yes, the no awards does make it interesting, and it's certainly not anticlimactic. Um, it instead of the Hugo should be all about embracing what's yeah. what's good in science fiction. Um, and the thing that has been lost on both sides, both sides, the, ultimately their argument at the end of the day was the merit of the work has been lost. Yeah. Um, and I think that has been the case. In the two nominate, the two big nominations in terms of the fiction where um, there were winners, which were Best Novel and Best Novelette, um, the awards for the first time went to two non-English speaking uh, pub, uh, stories. Yeah. Both the Three-Body Problem was originally published in China and... Uh, the day the world turned upside down was published. Enter was published in Norway and translated recently, I believe. I haven't mm. read the story. Right. Um, so yeah, the, the you know the, for the first time, two non-English speaking stories have actually been nominated and won. Yeah, but what other choice did they have? And I'm not. So I'm not. I'm not being critical of that. I'm saying right. that you know the, this, this is you know one of the the things that has actually happened in terms of the actual it winning. A positive thing. Yeah. Right. A posi- as a, there is a positive thing, but the um, the general sense of um, wow, this is what's so great about science fiction or fantasy has actually been lost. I think a bit this year. Yeah, I was just going to say that segues nicely into the, the Elfie Awards. So I just wanted to mention that the Elfie Awards is um, something that George R. R. Martin does after the Hugo's um, for the losers, um, and he's been doing it for many years. And if any winners come along, they have to wear a cone head. But um, I just wanted to mention that it's a paragraph here from a a Wired article that I read. um, This paragraph here from the Wired article that I read about the Hugo Awards and the whole controversy and everything, and it goes and describes the Elfies later. Um, During the Elfies, the biggest cheers, though, broke out when Martin honoured two people, Annie Belay and Marco Clues, who'd been first-time Hugo finalists this year until they withdrew their names, because they both withdrew because they... They appeared on the slates. Exactly right. And they didn't want to. Um, the new data showed that Bowie would have been on the ballot anyway and Elfie clearly stunned her. Winning the Elfie clearly stunned her. She said, I want these awards to be about the fiction and that was important enough to give me a one-up. So I just I just Good wanted words. to mention that, that I, I, well, I'm not a fan of Game of Thrones. I am a big fan of George R.R. Martin just even for putting these Elfie mm. awards together. I think that's a really and, good thing and, to do. And who did you name them after? Alfred Bester. Alfred Bester, thank you very much. His work is awesome. I'm also not a great fan of but you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you've read, to my best of my knowledge, two things that he's written? That's correct. I One have, of which yes. you did like. Yes. So 50% of the work that you've read, you've actually enjoyed. <laughs> that is true, but for some reason the one I didn't enjoy sticks out more. <laughs> I don't know why it is. <laughs> it's sullied everything out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, yeah, I'm p- perfectly willing to read more Alfred Bester stuff. A site called io9 actually made the point that because of all the, the controversy that people who should have been nominated weren't because of the controversy. Um, and they picked out um, Locked In by John Scalzi, 
mm-hmm. um, and uh, City of Stairs by um, Robert Jackson Bennett. Right. And so the whole idea being that there was actually far worthier work than even what the what was on the list. What what, what was on the list? Um, they had they had Three Body Problem, Ancillary Resort, and the and the Goblin Emperor. They they were on their list as well. But you know other works um, actually being overlooked, mm. um, which could have actually tied in both into what everyone wanted mm. really. Which actually brings home a, a really difficult point about this, and that is that this may do irreversible damage mm. to the Hugos in the long term, because now every nomination is going to be questioned. Yeah. Right. Now, then, now the Hugos might be able to work around that and get themselves back on track. Mm. But now, every time they release their nominations every year now, this question is going to be posed. Mm. And it's going to be posed by both sides of the argument. Well, are they trying to appease the, the sad puppies people? Mm. Have the sad puppies people dominated? And then the sad puppies people will be saying, well, you know, uh, is this the backlash against what we did in 2015? And, and so the, the, the question now becomes can the Hugo Awards actually recover from this? Mm. And can they become, you know, what they have been, which is, you know, meant to be the, the preeminent awards for science fiction and fantasy writing. Mm. Can they ever become that again? Mm. And if so, how do they go about doing that? How mm. do they overcome what's happened this year? And, and it wasn't even this year. Like, it, this this Sad Puppies thing started... 2013. Yeah. So, clearly, it's been building up over a couple of years now. So, so where do they go from here? Mm. Like and I that's, said... I think, the, re- the real damage here is... How you know? How do we trust the Hugo's anymore? True. Like True. I said before, we have long memories. But do we? Yes. And, and does but unfortunately, the, well, internet, does. the internet yeah. does. But that's I the don't. thing. <laughs> but that, that's the thing. That long memories thing could actually continue could, to work it, against yeah, them because it could work against them. ten years from now, people are going to be saying, "Well, back in two thousand and fifteen, this happened." Mm-hmm. And and then you know, it, it, once again, it depends upon then what happens for the next mm-hmm. few years. But yeah, it could like taint. Hugo's forever right. now, unless unless there's something that they can do about that. And um, well, let's hope not. Uh, but yeah, no, you're probably right. It's a fascinating situation. It is a fascinating situation. Yeah. Cool. All right, so let's uh, finish up with coming soon. In cinema, September third, we get a walk in the woods, uh, American Ultra, uh, which I actually knew nothing about until just recently. I just recently read a. a, a, a like an interview slash article about and stuff, and now I'm actually intrigued. Actually, I'm quite interested. I wasn't before, but now I am. What is it? Uh, it's Jesse Eisenberg, or whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. is Jesse Eisenberg? Yes. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Kristen Stewart. Oh, so it's like, God. who cares? But the storyline is it's written by it's written by uh, Max Landis, I think his name is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 The Chronicle guy. Yeah. 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 Um, and um, it's. Jesse Eisenberg is like a loser, stoner, Kevin Smith-type character who gets revealed that he is, in fact, a trained assassin and gets reactivated and now has to sort of relearn everything that he... That sounds very familiar. And then um, he has to defend the town from people coming to kill him or something. Mm. I don't know. Just So it's the Gina Davis movie. The yeah, long the long, it's a long kiss goodbye. There you go. Oh, kiss goodnight although the he's a, although it's a stoner version of it. Yeah. Long yeah. kiss goodnight with chefs do that. Yeah, long, <laughs> long kiss goodnight with a bit of partisan. If it was all made by Kevin Smith. Yeah, yeah it's right, a, okay. yeah, Kevin Smith. Maybe yeah. No, you're totally right. I didn't even think about that. But you're totally right. Uh, Straight out of Compton, which I've seen. In yeah, is anybody else? Is anybody else in it? No. Well, it hasn't been released yet. Well, I've seen it. <laughs> 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 I am. I am intrigued by it. 
Like, yeah. I am interested in seeing it. So I would actually like to discuss it with you, because you know more about that history than I do. Right. So it'd be interesting to see... So, I, 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 like, very brief review. Okay, I think it's I think it's well done as a film. Yeah. But the fact that it intentionally ignores certain things, I think is something... Are you talking discussed. about, like... Uh, Dre's yeah, violence Dre. against women. Essentially Dre. Violence against women. Anybody who is shocked that that wasn't included in the film obviously hasn't seen a lot of these films because clearly they're not going to bring it up. Well, yeah, I mean, given given that they're heavily involved in, you know, producing <laughs> The actual the producing film, of it. Yeah, it's it's like, not surprising how, how that you be they... shocked? Do, do, is, do yeah. other anyway. aspects, other, let's say, negative aspects of their personalities... Not really. ...come into it at all? Yeah. And how far does it go? Does it go up to the release of... Straight out of Compton, or does it go to the collapse of the group? Yeah, no, it goes. Later it goes on. Yeah, easy dies. And sorry, is this a drama or is this a documentary? It's a, no, it's a drama. It's a, yeah, it's a docudrama. Okay, yeah, cool. yeah. yeah. Um, and the guest, which has been pushed back from last week, we reported it was out last week, but it's actually been pushed back. Um, it's, okay. it's excellent. See it. And the transporter refueled. It's a, Dear God, an attempt to re- reignite the transporter series. It does. It still have Jason Statham in it. No, it's a new guy. What was yeah. the point? Funnily enough, not the guy from the show. So, like, he had the Jason Statham movie, then he had the TV show. And there, was, this there, new movie. there was a transported TV show? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Got cancelled after a season. Yeah, one season, yeah. Right, okay. It's not very good. I didn't mind the guy. Stretch out the show those was good. movies into a TV show. I mean, the movie was boring. <laughs> I don't know why Transporter won. But two or three are terrible. Um, but I quite enjoyed one. And it's well, funny the trailer for this looks alright. I actually don't mind Jason Statham. I just haven't. I haven't I'm yet to see a movie where that I've liked that he's been in. Lock, stock, so you like Jason Statham as in his personality, or you just think he's good looking, or what? I don't. Elaborate. Think, I just, he's, he's he's all right on the screen. Yeah, yeah. he's got a, he's got he's, a good he's got screen good, charisma. Yeah, yeah, got a good presence yeah. about him. Um, yeah. If he has to carry a film by himself, yeah. I find it doesn't quite work for me as well. Except so, for Transporter One, which is cool. So that's episode one fifty eight. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I definitely did. Yeah, I can see the crew did, except for Richard, who looks like he's about to stab me in the eye. <laughs> It wasn't going to be the eye. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I like it. Take no prisoners. Bound chicka wow wow. Except for me and the crew, Richard. Uh, if any listeners out there would like to identify the body part they'd most like to see Dave stabbed in, drop us a line and let me know. Thank God it's not a video cast. We'll, you would have we'll, just done we'll, it. We'll enact it in two episodes. <laughs> uh, just for your listening pleasure. Pin the tail on the Dave. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> hey, look, I'm going to start. I'm going to start my own slate next year. Rabid zombies. Okay. We're going to take everything over and try and transform it and make sure that all the Nebula nominees get all get Hugo all get the Hugo Award instead, and all the Hugo people get the World Fantasy Award Award people instead, and then the world that the World Fantasy people can get the Bram Stoker instead. Can you see where I'm going here with all it's this? It's, 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 it's be better. The word rabbit's got a bad connotation. Can we call them sad zombies? <laughs> sad zombies, I like that. Hungry zombies. Better, Wouldn't it be better? Grumpy in, zombies. In, in the spirit <laughs> of... Grumpy zombies. Grumpy zombies, I like it. In the spirit of uh, rabbit puppies, wouldn't it be better if we just said all awards should be given to whatever we give our end of year awards to at the end of this year? Yeah. So the that, NCP awards, but yeah, basically, basically, everybody should just do as you know what we say, and and what and what we think should be paramount at all award ceremonies for the next ten years. Perhaps Can we should that? start charging people to vote. There's an idea, and Crystal. Perhaps we should start charging people to vote. <laughs> <laughs> Such a good idea; it needed to be said to us. <laughs> Bye. 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 You've been listening to NCP. Thank you for being a part of our crew. 
If you would like to support the show, you can use the Amazon widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. If you have any feedback, please go to nerdculturepodcast.com forward slash contact us where you will find a list of the many different ways you can interact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.